Stuart Gandoff again, and today we have another hospital-related podcast. Today I'm going to be interviewing David Dirks, who is Assistant Vice President of Healthcare Transformation at Intermountain Healthcare. Welcome, David. Thank you. Today we're going to be talking about, I met one of your uh, colleagues at uh, Shishmid recently, and we had a very interesting conversation, and I was intrigued by some of the things that Intermountain Health is doing, uh, particularly as it relates to shared accountability. And so our readers, of course, uh, have a lot of different backgrounds. We certainly have a lot of uh, hospitals and hospital systems who listen to our podcast. We have corporate people. And we have a lot of uh, private practice uh, group doctors and groups and people like that as well that are our subscribers. Some are very um, close to and understand that healthcare is changing and uh, are already moving towards sort of an ACO model. Others are brand new into the field, really. They just they're in marketplaces that haven't been that impacted yet, or they, you know, or they've chosen to stay outside of that system. I'd like to start off by, you know, helping our listeners understand, you know, shared accountability. What is it? Uh, and um, uh, that's the first question. And a corollary to that is, and, and why are you pursuing it? A great question. So shared accountability is is Intermountain's term for what we're trying to accomplish through all of our transformation efforts. Um, at a high level, as we began to look at all of the pressures surrounding healthcare, you know, increasing costs that just simply aren't sustainable really for any stakeholder, right? Employers bearing the cost of uh, increases of premiums year over year, increasingly employees and patients having to bear costs by higher deductible health plans and having to pay more out of pocket, government agencies uh, that have budgets that are simply busting and not able to support the ever-increasing needs of providing health care to their constituents, uh, as well as providers uh, and physicians that continue to see uh, their revenues reduced year over year and have continued cost pressures. And so a recognition of that ever-increasing cost, as well as beginning to try and understand, are we really benefiting patients in meaningful ways? Are we getting the value to our consumers and to our communities from those costs that we're that we're incurring. And so Intermountain said, look, we, we really need to be at the leading edge. We think we have the ability to affect this change from a leadership perspective to move it forward. And so shared accountability was born out of that idea that we need to do a number of different things. First of all, we need to make sure that we're providing the absolute best care and best outcomes uh, to patients and members. But we also need to do it in a way that we're safeguarding assets and we're doing it in the most cost-effective way and a realization that there's a number of things that have to change within the way that the healthcare system currently operates. But shared accountability, that terminology is really important to us because we recognize that we can't do it without the involvement of everyone that has a part in the healthcare system. You mentioned sort of the year subscribers come from a variety of backgrounds, whether that's a single practice primary care clinic or whether it's a large integrated delivery system, everyone has a role to play. So that shared accountability word is our idea around how do we be, begin to bring everyone in and integrate them in a meaningful way. So we, we really have three ways of doing that. The first one is around evidence-based medicine. We think from a, from a provider standpoint, whether you're a care manager or an affiliated physician or an employed physician, Everyone should be able to agree on what's the best care for the patient and how can we provide systems that give providers the information and the tools that they need to deliver the best care to patients. But the reality is, is that in the current fee-for-service model, delivering the best 
care to patients often results in financial penalties. So if I'm a delivery system and I do a really excellent job at avoiding admissions into my hospital or reducing imaging tests or a number of the other things by just keeping people healthier, there's a really negative financial impact to providers and delivery systems by doing that. And so the second theme and the, the strategy around shared accountability is how do we ensure that financial incentives are aligned so that as people do the right thing, they're not penalized for that. And then the third component that we're really focused on is how do we engage patients in a meaningful way? One of the things that, that we hear continually around the strategy is, look, this all sounds great, but how do I make sure that the patients are engaged in their own health? And so we leverage all resources to be able to make sure that patients are engaged. So with our health plan, making sure that benefit design of that product is something where patients have to be engaged, but they are provided with support and tools and coaches to, to really maximize their health, and how do we make sure that from the delivery system, we make it easy for people to do the right thing. Uh, a lot of times when people ask me, how do we engage patients, you know, we haven't had success, my question is, well, what have you tried? If it's just a phone call or an, or an email to try and get someone to engage, um, that's, that's probably not going to do it. You have to develop sort of a, a full strategy around engaging patients. So those are the, the three sort of components of our shared accountability strategy and, and how we're trying to redefine healthcare uh, here at Intermountain. Very good. And a couple comments on that. Number one, you know, that you mentioned sustainability in healthcare. And I got to tell you, as an employer, I had a stand-up meeting on Friday, actually, where I talked about our health plan and we're in the process of picking a new health plan. And we thought that we would stick with the same thing when we had and we just found out that next year they're proposing a 38% increase in our already super high premiums yeah. and cutting back with higher deductibles and less choice. I mean, that's just insane. In one year, 38%? It's just not sustainable. It's, it's right. something that, you know, my employees aren't rich. They can't just suck this up. We as a company can't suck it up. And so the problem is really a big one. Secondly, I thought was key, and I think one of the reasons it makes me excited about your particular program, you mentioned about economic penalties. It's shocking to me, you know, we're all human beings, and um, when you, uh, even when it comes to something mundane as, you know, a salesperson in a company, their commission rate, if they're incented a couple points more to do one thing versus another, it's amazing how suddenly that always becomes the right um, solution for a client. And so this is, you know, on a very small scale with the commission salesperson, um, you know, can apply to much bigger things like even healthcare. So while we all, and I think, you know, almost everybody in healthcare wants to be ethical um, and uh, do the right thing, but if incentives are aligned against them, it's just difficult. I mean, it's, there's a lot of reasons why things can go awry. So I think recognizing that sort of human instinct and trying to build a system that's set up to win from the beginning is really, really important. You mentioned the requiring of the patient. Talk about how does your program paired with accountable care organizations and what's similar and what's different? To generalize it, there there's a lot of similarities. I think more similarities than differences from a, a typical accountable care organization. So I'll just highlight a couple. And, and, and the first one is really, you know, accountable care typically is sort of all of the risk burden gets put on one entity within that system, whether that's an a integrated delivery system or with, whether it's a medical group, large medical group that's taking on that risk, 
And then everyone else, in terms of what I've seen from most ACOs, whether they're a government ACO or not, one person is, is sort of taking that risk, and then everyone else still gets paid on a fee-for-service methodology. So it really doesn't begin to change and transform the whole system. A lot of ACOs as well are, are with Medicare or Medicaid, specifically if, if the state has an ACO. Our goal at Intermountain is to make sure that everybody, regardless of whether you're a Medicare patient or a Medicaid patient or an insured by a commercial insurance provider, to make sure that everyone has the benefit to these strategies. So not only are we you know, working with Select Health, our own payer, we're certainly able to bring a product to market faster with Select Health because we have integration and common vision, but we're working with other payers as well to try and bring products to the market, uh, insurance product to the market that, that give members the same benefits. And then the other thing that, that we really, to a large extent, see missing in a lot of the ACO, especially with CMS and others, is that idea that the patient has to engage as well, that there's certain requirements and commitments that they have to meet. So, you know, for example, with our Select Health product, which is a three-year product that Select Health is offering here in the, the Utah market, which in year two and three of that contract has a guaranteed 4% premium increase, so does not increase above that no matter what utilization trends are for those two years. There are specific things that for an employer, if you want to sign up for that product, certain commitments you have to meet. You have to have a wellness program. That wellness program, you have to have certain participation by your employees in, in certain activities. Our providers on the network have to sign 18 shared commitments that they're going to do in terms of exchanging data and adhering to evidence-based practices and a number of other things. And then as a provider, you know, we have to have commitments back to those providers that we will, you know, have a payment model that is aligned with providing the best care to patients and will not, you know, penalize them for doing the right thing. And so rolling up all of those commitments and creating that ecosystem where everyone is accountable to one another and everyone shares uh, in that we believe is a differentiator from what what is typically defined as an ACO. But that's, you know, one of the issues that we see is as you talk to all of the different players, throughout the country, everyone defines those things a little bit differently and everyone defines those strategies a little bit differently. I think over the coming years, we're going to begin to see the larger players begin to define what transformation looks like and sort of lead out on that journey and, and sort of create the pathway then for everyone else to begin to to follow and, and really understanding at a meaningful level what has changed me. Because right now, there there just is a lot of, there's a lot of great ideas, a lot of wonderful things going on, but the question around will it solve this larger challenge that we have, which is really significant around cost and and getting people healthy and engaged, is going to take all of us, I think, pulling together to to chart that future. That makes sense. You know, it's funny. Uh, we spoke offline prior to the call about our uh, minor involvement with a large pioneer ACO and how the stakes are amazing with, with the government model in terms of a swing of a couple percentage points either way of utilization and, and costs and savings sharing and so forth can be, you know, a billion dollars. <laughs> You're talking about sharing risk like that is a big, big deal. One of the things on your website you mentioned when I was looking at, and I thought it was really, really um, interesting to see, I speak a lot, as you may know, and a lot of times if I just did a keynote a couple of months ago in our, in our own seminars as well, and one of my first slides is an opening showing a polar bear, and the point is it's on a little ice flow, and the point is the world is changing quickly under, underneath our feet. And one of the points I make there is 
people that aren't very close to this would, you know, think that things are going to magically change if, uh, you know, the Republicans were to take office next election and uh, vote out the Affordable Care Act. And my argument is the marketplace is changing, and the market is changing. The need is bigger than any government legislation. I noticed on your website, a Q&A section, one says it's shared accountability in response to health care reform, and apparently your answer is no. Can you expand upon that a little bit for us? Yeah. Uh, you know, one of the things I think was, you know, really insightful about, about Intermountain's board and, and leadership is we began this journey when there were still lots of questions around what health care reform meant and is it going to happen or not. I mean, this is way even before the days of Supreme Court rulings uh, around the Affordable Care Act. And, you know, the messaging all the way from day one through was this is the right thing to do. And if we do the right thing, if we're doing the right thing for patients and, and making sure that incentives are aligned, no matter what government agencies do or sort of whatever the regulations are, we should be successful in that environment. We should be able to meet what whatever those changing dynamics are from a governmental perspective or from a regular regulatory perspective. We just need to be focused on on doing the right thing. And so, you know, because all of this transition began even before the act went into place, we certainly were interested in it and monitoring in it and making sure that, you know, we had a, a conversation at a national level about what we thought was important to us. But the strategy never really, really changed to a large extent because it was in, you know, in alignment. So if you, you know, if you think about it, one of the newest, you know, CMS innovations is the the CCJR, which, in a number of different areas, sort of mandates bundled payments. Whereas before, that had, you know, bundled payments was something that you could elect to do. Now there's some question whether it will take place in 2016. But they've said for certain DRGs and joint replacement, we're going to give you a bundle, and the the provider is going to bear all the risk. So for for a number of different areas, you know, there was a lot of movement and momentum. Okay, how are we going to deal with this, and how are we going to manage it? We've got to change our processes. Look, under our shared accountability process, all of the things that make you successful in a bundle we were already doing to try and be successful under population health management, right? How do we make sure that people have the best information and shared decision-making processes around, is joint replacement a right choice for me? Do I have other options that I can leverage before making that decision? So less invasive, can I do rehab and have nutrition coaching and make sure that I'm at a healthy weight? If I do decide to go ahead with the knee replacement, that knee replacement being done by providers that we know have the best experience, have good quality outcomes, um, and then post-surgery, do we have an idea around what the best course of care is? So does it, you know, does a person need to have the extra expense of being discharged to a SNF, or is that simply, you know, a situation where no, they don't, they can they can be managed just as well at home with home care or outpatient therapy, and um, actually not have to have not only the expense but you know the the chance of reinfection rates and other things while with being in some of those facilities. So all of those decisions, which again we're making within the scope of our shared accountability strategy, CMS has a new a new plan to do something. We really don't have to shift much because we're already there and we're already aligned. So um, it is not a reaction to any of those. We believe and we've seen played out that if if we do the right thing, then we shouldn't have to worry too much about what that looks like. Excellent. You've chosen to, I guess, in a way, do a parallel path, you know, along with the, the, the government programs. What are the re- economic realities? We talked about incentives earlier. This obviously will have an impact on the bottom line, or at least on the top line, for sure, yeah. uh, of your system. 
And it's not always in the direction we would hope for. I guess I was looking at this as an independent observer, kind of a brave thing. How is that, you know, as you guys began to plan this system, how did you prepare for that? How are you adjusting to new economic realities? And, you know, why are you doing this? Back in 2011 uh, was when uh, our leadership or made set that goal for 2016 to say, all right, by 2016, we're going to have a system in place where we can sort of cap those premium increases, you know, beginning with select health at 4%. So we actually did the modeling. We said, okay, what the, what is that going to mean? Because if, if the health plan is offering a much lower premium, um, we're going to have to take less net revenue, uh, which is exactly what you said. And we recognized that. So we did, we did our, all of our five-year plans modeled out significantly less in terms of net revenue. And because we are a nonprofit, you know, we drew sort of that line from a net income perspective and said, all right, what do we absolutely need? What do our capital expenditures look like uh, into the next five years? What do we need to have for reserves? What do we need to have to make sure that um, our pension plan is well-funded? Um, you know, even in it still is the case that even at that time, if you think about what interest rates and what the economy was doing, which has an impact on on pension funding, we said, all right, what's sort of the level that we need to make sure that we maintain bond ratings and maintain those commitments with lower net revenue? And and we identified, all right, here's this gap in expense that we're going to need to um, sort of take out of the system in terms of cost, but you know, only a small portion of that did we say was going to come out of, you know, traditional productivity measures. Most of it, we said we got to come out with targeting utilization initiatives that begin to look at what are costs that were occurring that, that do not have a benefit to patients or processes that are inefficient that are not creating value for patients. And so over the last five years, we've been focusing on how do we begin to do that and during that time building that system. But you know, there was the message to the board and even to rating agencies was, yeah, we're going to make less than we otherwise would have if we had kept operating the way that we the way that we would have. Intermountain began sort of in 1975, and, and one of the challenges when Intermountain was started was to be a model healthcare system. And it's something we actually take very personally in recognizing that, look, healthcare has to change. We have, we think, the skills, and we have the right people, and we have the right vision, and we do have the the wherewithal where we believe we can weather the storm, if you will, or you know balance with our feet in both canoes, and we believe that we can pave the way to show how this is done. We really felt a sense of responsibility there, even with an understanding that there would be a financial impact. The the really compelling thing for me is just that that was never questioned, sort of at any level of the organization, that that was the right thing to do. You know, it's something that organizations that are already struggling financially, that is, you know, that's difficult and will be difficult for them. And, um, you know, that will be a, a journey ahead that they'll have to manage, sort of how do we make this transition? But again, if if you're redefining the system in the right ways to do the right things for patients, I believe success will come in the long term. That's great. You know, I, I guess a couple points on that, and you mentioned the struggling uh, hospitals, which certainly there are some out there. One of the things that I think is important is the fact that you guys are nonprofit is one issue that um, made it a little easier. But number two, I think the bigger issue is that you get, that's the vision of the hospital. And one of the things that intrigues me back is sort of my earlier days of business, how, you know, they talk about vision statements. And for a lot of organizations, it's kind of lip service, but some take it very seriously. So, for example, for you guys, 
I remember when the ACO model was beginning to sort of expand very rapidly, and a lot of hospitals and hospital systems would say, you know, we're going to sit this one out. Uh, some look view themselves as pioneers, literally, hence the name, you know, pioneer. But some are forward-thinking, want to be the innovator on these kinds of topics. Others are like, well, we have other issues. We just want to provide good health care. We'll let the dust settle a little bit. But it sounds like that really is in the DNA of your system. No, I, I don't think it's ever been. I mean, I think if you look at Brent James and Homer Warner and some of the other folks that we've had really that have established the, the tone and culture uh, around innovation at Intermountain, it's just something that, you know, I've been with Intermountain for 15 years, really for, for the bulk of my career, that is sort of built into the DNA of everyone here that is around being at the front edge and being at the innovative edge of how we do healthcare. And so, you know, it was a, it was a, very easy line for us to draw. You know, my my role um, in healthcare transformation really is to work with. You know, we're a relatively small shop. You know, our our job is to just collaborate and help and support leaders that are already doing the work of Intermountain Healthcare. So, you know, innovation and transformation is simply just another part of their job description, and it's just our job to support them in helping to think through threat strategies and developing those types of things. And, and I think in order to be successful, you have to have that sort of built into that, that expectation of we're going to change, we're going to do things differently in a positive way. You've got to establish that first and make sure everyone is on the same page. And so I think for a lot of organizations, it, it probably was a wise decision to wait because if you don't feel like from the top down, from your board of trustees all the way down to frontline nurses, if you don't feel like you've got a culture where everyone is engaged and say, yeah, we're willing to do this because it, it is difficult. I mean, you know, whether you're a hospital administrator and you're trying to make a budget because, you know, you, and you're losing $3 million in NOI because you're implementing a new care standard that's going to keep people out of your hospital, You've got to try and, you know, make that work or you're a nurse and there's a number of new technologies and, and systems that are going into place and, and you have a higher requirement to make sure that data is flowing to be able to manage a population health better and you understand the reason behind why, you know, you're having to use new systems and do that. It becomes very difficult. So, you know, anyone that I would say is is getting ready to make this journey is, number one, you know, not everyone is an Intermountain or a Geisinger or a Cleveland Clinic. You know, really understand what you're good at and how you might fit within the larger system and really be hyper-focused on that. And then number two is make sure you have the right culture to do it and execute it. Um, because if you don't, that will, you know, it will quickly begin to break down any other initiative when when times get tough. And they certainly will as you, you know, go through this journey. We've, we've seen that. We're not certainly not through it. We've just gotten a, a good start. Very insightful. Yeah, I, I can see how ill thought out and when we're not ready could be really a disaster for hospitals. They're already struggling. They're saying goodbye to revenue. They don't have the right culture. It could be one of those things that becomes a failure and everybody says, see, I told you so, which is exactly yeah. the opposite of where you want to go. You mentioned earlier that you haven't done a, a podcast like this. This is when we spoke offline, but certainly you've talked to others out there, the insurers or other systems. Do you feel like there's a sense of collaboration around population health? Is there? Uh, do you feel like best practices are being shared as much as they should be? What I see is that there's a number of systems very similar to Intermountain that absolutely the, the level of collaboration is certainly at a high level. And and not to leave any out, you know, I mentioned some Cleveland Clinic and 
Banner and Geisinger and Providence and a number that, that we work with, and there's a number of others. But I, I don't know how deep that is getting into all of the other systems. I think there's this sense of, yeah, things are changing and we know we have to react, but I do have a, a conversations with lots of folks that aren't, you know, I don't have market power. I don't, I'm not a big system that controls, you know, a large medical group and a health plan and others. That's where I'm beginning to think, okay, we've got to start beginning to think about what that transformation means at that level. I believe that those conversations are starting, they're beginning. Um, as I go to different conferences, you see more and more people that are from maybe smaller regional delivery systems or smaller regional payers or someone from a medical group, you know, a smaller medical group. Those conversations are beginning, but as I said, my, my concern is each of those entities that are at a smaller level really have to evaluate, all right, how do we make effective partnerships with, with others and how do we begin to work together uh, in meaningful ways to drive change forward? And in some cases, you know, that, that may mean some difficult decisions uh, on the part of each of those, those players. And, and I think before they're going to be able to make some of those really difficult decisions, they're going to have to see sort of a clear pathway that, yes, it works. So to your, to your point, to a large extent, population health is unproven right now. You know, the systems that I mentioned and us, we've got to prove it out and show how it works show that it's possible. And then I think once we're able to even begin to prove a little bit of it out, we can begin to move the needle on all of the other players in the market that will have to move in order to get it there. So I think there's a, a staging and a timing component. But as much as we can communicate and sort of talk about what our initiatives are, I mean, I know a lot of what I do and my perspective comes from colleagues, conversations I've had with colleagues and, and what they're doing. So it's starting. I think it's it's small, it's sort of a little flame now, but with the momentum that a number of different areas, it's not just delivery systems as well, but I mean, payers in particular have been a real catalyst for change in a lot of areas. It's going to happen very fast. I mean, healthcare has talked, like I said, I've, I've been with Intermount for 15 years, and it seems like every year we've written a strategic plan, right? Healthcare is on the precipice of massive change, and it sort of has never really happened. Um, I fundamentally believe that over the next five years, that pace of change is going to be absolutely frenetic, whether created by the industry itself or um, if we don't do it, then CMS has certainly said that they are interested in doing it. So we're going to all need to move together. I agree. I've been doing in healthcare for 20 years, and it, they thought it was changing fast when I first got into the business 20 years yeah. ago. And it, it, that's glacial comparatively to what I see today. You know, when we work dealing with uh, hospitals or practices or, for example, right now we have a slew of oncology groups that are very big that are moving extraordinarily fast to market themselves because they have to. It wasn't yeah. they wanted to, but the, because of consolidation, they want to continue to remain relevant in a changing landscape, and that's true across many kinds of providers. So you mentioned earlier the hospitals cooperating with groups and doctors and payers and all these things, it's changing really, really fast. A couple last questions real quick. One, is there anything else about our uh, that you feel like is really unique about the way you guys are doing things that our listeners should know about? One of the things that you mentioned around value that, that's sort of, that's pretty interesting that, that you will see, you know, from a marketing perspective is marketing for healthcare, I think, you know, in the past was, was fairly you know, sort of aimed at the same type of value proposition, if you will. And now I'm beginning to, there, you know, a separation between 
the two different strategies, right? As you said, there are healthcare organizations that clearly have said, you know, we're going to wait on this. We're going to continue to just sort of monitor the situation and keep the same economic models in place and, and incentive models. And that is a certain value proposition that you're marketing to consumers. But as you move down a population health path, that, that value proposition is very different, right? That divergence in those is going to be really interesting to watch play out and see what really resonates with people is, no, I just, you know, I simply just, I want to go to the ER and I want to know that I can get in and out of the ER fast. That may have a certain value proposition for people versus, look, we want to get you with a trusted healthcare provider, someone that you, that you know that you can call on or, you know, you can reach someone in your mobile phone. And so you don't have to go to the ER. You can, you know, there are options to you available. Those are very diverging value propositions. And it will be very interesting to see over the next, you know, five years, how those influence um, the overall shape of healthcare reform and how well they, they resonate with people. Like I said, if, if what we are, the new product that we are selling at Intermountain isn't something that resonates, um, we believe it is, but that will be very interesting to see how that play out. So the, the marketing aspects of that will be interesting to watch, to watch play out. The other thing that your question, back to your question was, what do we, what do we think is unique about our, our strategy? You know, one of the things that um, we've done is to, make sure that you know we have a large medical group that that are employed but they only pr- provide about 40% of our outpatient services the rest of the 60% are provided by affiliated physicians and so the strategy really has to you know make sure that we are integrating those affiliated physicians absolutely just as much as we are our own medical group and so we have you know committees that manage our population health strategies that are made up of administrators and physicians that are part of other clinics. And, you know, being that involves a certain level of transparency around Intermountain's operations and how those products are performing financially and how we use data and share information. And I think at the beginning, there was cause on both sides to be a little nervous about that and what that looks like. What we found, though, is that the amount of collaboration and the trust that's being established and acceleration of the strategy has really been tremendous by simply saying, look, we're going we're gonna to trust one another. We're going to work together. Our focus is on doing the right thing for, for the patients and the people that we all care about and serve. I, I think that's, that's unique. one of the unique aspects that we've done is sort of bringing in affiliated physicians to the level that we have, sort of treating everyone absolutely the same, whether they're employed by the employed by the company or not. The other thing that Intermountain has always been a data-rich company. So a, a lot of the work that we're doing to make sure that we have all of the data assets not only sort of linked and organized, but that we're making sure that all of those are getting out and implemented directly within a provider workflow. So I don't have to, I don't have to use a separate system when I'm dealing with a patient that's on a risk product. All of that information and data, we're working towards having it all integrated and delivered right at the point of care, is is a big deal for providers because, as you know, and and people that are that are listening will know, the amount of time that a physician gets to spend on taking care of a patient versus coding or navigating a medical record or doing all of the other administrative and things that they have to do, you know, that that's become that's gotten out of whack, and so we need to really enable them to say. Let's focus more time on spending with the patient and hopefully less time on having to deal with technology and coding and those types of other things. 
Well, you can do that. You have the support of most doctors I know, that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, for sure. Final question. Uh, you alluded to marketing a moment ago. How do you think marketing is being impacted you know, at Intermountain and then also just in general from these kinds of models? Like, Where do you see marketing, I guess, going in terms of you know, the, the changes of rather than trying to get people in the hospital or sell service lines is going to be more broad? So what have you seen already happening at Intermountain and what do you think things will be going in the future as a result? I'm by no means the the expert on marketing, but I th- I think one of the things that's really been impactful for us is you know for the first time since since we started we changed our mission statement from one that was more focused on you know providing the best healthcare services at the lowest appropriate cost to one that now says our mission statement is helping people live the healthiest lives possible. So a shift a shift in terms of how we market our value from we're going to provide you with the best healthcare services at, at an appropriate cost to we're really going to be partners with you. We are interested in not only providing you services when you get sick or when you're ill, but we're really there to to be there along all of the decisions about your health. So how do we help support you in, you know, making sure that you're losing weight or managing your hypertension or, you know, making the best decisions about how to manage your diabetes or making decisions around, all right, you know, what's the best course of care for me in my cancer treatment or whatever it is, because of the strategy around the economic model, we don't have to worry about marketing to get people in our emergency rooms or in our hospitals. Again, because we've handled the economic model, we can just, you know, from a marketing perspective say, we are going to offer you the best value in health of anyone, and that's and that's what our value proposition is. And so that, you know, it does represent some of a shift. I mean, Intermountain's always been focused on doing the right things, but, you know, that focus is more on sort of that long-term health partner rather than these are the services that we can provide. I knew this was going to be a, an excellent interview. Lots of great insights. It's been fun having you, David, and I, I appreciate your time. You did great. Thanks for uh, helping our listeners. We really appreciate it.